Parker, how you doing? Doing okay? I'm doing great. I feel like that's kind of a lie. Multiple times we have done solo episodes or had someone else fill in. So saying always feels like you're creating an unreasonable standard for our listeners, Grant. And we just relaunched after the offseason, and I'd like to hold you to a higher standard, frankly. Well, okay. That was a more complicated answer than I wanted because we have a guest on this episode. Doing great. Uh, we are excited to welcome Ryan Nanny of the Shutdown Full Cast to the Purple Theory Podcast. Ryan, how are you? I'm good. Um, maybe Parker, he meant spiritually. You're always, you're always together. You know, it's like not physically always together on the podcast, but you know, never truly absent in every sense. Okay, but even then, I we've done a podcast after TCU ran the ball or passed the ball eleven times against Kansas, and uh, and barely won a game that they should have won going away. So okay. we've been in, we've yeah. been in the depths and spiritually. Grant, and I'll have to off air this and, and iron out the always <laughs> and the commitment. I, level of spiritual <laughs> adherence we're subscribing to. Parker haunts my dreams uh, every time I go to bed. Find <laughs> a nickel for every time somebody said that about me. <laughs> It'd only be like four, but still, it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, you uh, you are a, I don't know if I want to call you a college football expert because you certainly are, but you are a really a man about Twitter. And I, I have so many questions for you about that, but I want to start with our favorite segment okay now we are not a tcu podcast anymore officially but ryan andy can you say something nice about max duggan yes this actually isn't hard at all um max duggan thank you for not playing for either school in iowa frankly (laughs) like i actually probably wouldn't have minded too much if he'd played for iowa state but iowa state this year especially was like so snake bit and just sort of like, I don't know. I feel like that would have been an unpleasant way to go out. And the two directions it could have gone if he had been a Hawkeye was he's much better than everything they've had at quarterback really for the last like four years or something like that. And Iowa is contending for a playoff spot, which I don't need that in my life. I'm fine not having that happen or the Iowaness of it all swallows him, and he just becomes one in a long line of offensive non-entities that are part of the Brian Ferentz experience. So, like, I like to thank him for not not participating in that in any way, shape, or form. So, what you're saying is that there's a world where Max Duggan is Spencer Peters. I I, I feel bad even like invoking it. <laughs> to that level but yeah i I suppose there is a reality there is a timeline where that's true but almost even even worse like duggan's first couple of years it was hey stuff's not working it's third and long i'm gonna bail out of the pocket and create something and that's the only offense that we have and even then in press conferences certain certain people in power at that time were saying things like we'd really like him to make reads we feel like we're not you know connecting whatever and Ferenc would just be like more explicit about like dude he just runs around and not acknowledging that like hey he's running for his life and that's what mm-hmm. a, that's what he has to do yeah it could mm-hmm. it could have gotten really really dark can mm-hmm. i also just i don't know how strong our agenda is here is grant oh, um please i just want to take a little bit of umbrage i think hunter deckers was actually like really good for iowa state this year 
I don't know what a Max Duggan could have done to an Iowa State team because there was just so many other issues that they had. I had an agenda plan. Hunter Deckers was not on it. I want to point that out very clearly. Let me put it this way. Do you think Hunter Deckers was having fun? Did that, did that seem like a fun experience? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's his no. fault, but I think for Max, if you could say, would you rather have Max Duggan's experience or that? I, f- I feel like I appreciate that Max made the right decision for him and for <laughs> us as a whole. Yeah, he did have to sit through a lot of Sonny Cumbie. And we love Sonny here on this podcast, but that could not have been fun for him. Yeah, I, correct. Yeah, I, it's not great. That's the best that segment's gone. We've had varying degrees. Yeah. I'm trying to remember exactly who the guest was, but someone was like, this was 2019 or whatever. And they're like, no, please, like, please don't make me do this. And we're here. We've grown. It's been great as the podcast that I think has been the strongest defender of Max Duggan since day one. It feels nice to take a victory lap every chance we can. Max ran a four five two at the NFL combine. That's the only other news update we have. It's the fastest of the fast. quarterbacks. It's what is, fast. what is his current, like, where is he getting slotted in mock drafts? I, I've seen like point. fifth, uh, fifth round. Okay. Yeah, Parker, I, I Parker's smarter than me on this. I I think that he is kind of the football guy who yeah. will get drafted and people like him and he works hard and he'll play scout team for a little bit. Yeah. I I I think that if he gets drafted at all, rather than signed, it's going to be great for him because I think at this point he's just trying to stick, but. Brock Purdy won a playoff game, so who the hell knows anything about anything? Sure. Yeah. I, I Parker, as you were talking, I thought about Brock Purdy, and I'm like, I we are really going to make this comparison. It's going to kill me because one of these people was <laughs> second in the Heisman Trophy voting, and the other one was Brock Purdy. And <laughs> one of them is going to have a more successful NFL career. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't like it. Um, well, I've I've defended Hunter Deckers and I've brought up how funny Black Brock Purdy is. So I'm done. If you guys want to keep going, that's yeah. That's no, okay. you can log off. That's, I've hit everything I need fun. to hit tonight. <laughs> that was Parker's personal agenda. <laughs> I got to do these get two us. things. Then I'm good. Get us back on some form of track, Grant. I don't even have the. We, we have, have some. We, had we have some form of, we had a text message. This is a free flowing podcast. Um, Ryan, the Big Twelve is welcoming four new teams. This is my professional transition. As of as of today, as like, of today, we should, we should note that maybe that number will expand it, at some point in the next couple of weeks. If, if Arizona I State heard, offers us, I'm, I'm in. I heard Brett Yormark was talking to Itawamba Community College yesterday. So yeah, who knows what's going to happen, man? <laughs> man, look if if they bring in Independence Community from Kansas, top JUCO, I'm in. Um, but four new Big Twelve teams. Here's what I want to talk about. Last week, we kind of talked about them from a football perspective in terms of, hey, here's new players, all that. I want to talk about fan perspective and the culture shock that may occur when these teams hop in. And I want to start with UCF. Okay. Um, I know you're from Florida, all yep. that. UCF, I think, is in for a world of hurt. And I, I, I'm going to what, offer you a – go ahead. I, no, I want, I want to tease that out. Okay, because I, 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 I have a thesis. Yeah. Okay, and I, please, yeah, go yeah. ahead. So I think a lot of UCF fans are like, ha, 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 we won a national title. Isn't this very fun? And then someone from, like, Stillwater is going to cut their women's basketball coaches' tires, and it's going to be a very bad time for them. So you're I don't know say- if they're ready. So you're saying a bunch of people from Florida 
are not prepared for people to act like assholes. <laughs> <laughs> so now that I said that, I'm kind of reconsidering. <laughs> but I, I, I think there's a level of, oh no, these people are crazy that UCF was not prepared for in their previous conference. Um, okay, so I think... I think maybe the middle ground I can I can offer you here is that UCF has spent as a fan base and to some extent as an athletic department has spent the better part of five years, maybe a little longer than that, um, trying to get the attention of the people around it, like screaming about why won't Miami and Florida State and Florida play us? Why won't they give us straight up home and homes like mm-hmm. Demanding to be treated, demanding to not sit at the kids' table at Thanksgiving. Like that has been the perspective. And that has trickled down all the way to the fan base. Like the the, the stuff about the national cha- championship claim, it's very real to them. Like I I don't think they think this is a really fun goof that we're just like taking too far. I think there is a big chip on their shoulder. And whether or not they should have it like is is an, another debate entirely but is it as fun is it as serious as the space claim is my question well i think uh, it's more serious than the space okay. the space claim i think is like more akin to like this is just some fun shit to do that you can put on uh that you can put on your uniforms and things like that yeah but but now where they've gone from a situation where you know outside of usf they don't care about at this point who they're sort of trying to sort of kick loose of and be like no you're not a thing you're not a rival we don't care about you they're going from pay attention to us why won't you pay attention to us to now like okay now you're in a conference where that will happen and i don't know what that's going to actually look like because um whether or not they are ready for it they are getting what they asked for they are definitely getting what they asked for where they are not going to, you know, they're in a power conference where they're going to um, get these games, whether they want them or not, whether they like them or not. And I think yeah. that will be interesting to see. I'm mostly interested to see because I suspect UCF is coming into this with the attitude. And I think this is true of all four of the schools of like, we belong here and we from day one, can punch with you on the same level. Mm. I don't know. I, I mean, you already did the football analysis, so you tell me, but like, how likely is that to be true this first year? That's a question for Parker. Parker? Yeah. With all four, I can find, I mean, I can just go through very quickly and say like, UCF has to figure out what they're going to do at quarterback and they've got to yep. figure out some defensive stuff because Gus is can recruit Gus can recruit well and he can transfer well, but they still have to play defense. Uh, BYU's defense has gotten worse every year for the last three years, and there's they're changing quarterbacks again. Um, Houston, Clayton Toon, we know about the Dana Holgerson uh factor, and new quarterbacks necessarily gonna take a step there. Also, their defensive staff kind of got raided. Um, Cincinnati made, I think one of the worst hires of the cycle. Uh, if I'm just being <laughs> frank, I just think I, I think yeah. last week we kind of did like the football stuff and and said like, who's the mm-hmm. better off, best off for like the next decade. And I think we kind of said like UCF and then BYU and then a little bit of a gap and then Houston and then a big gap in Cincy, not because of anything other than just the fact that like they've given themselves a three year 
uh, penalty Setback. because yeah. they're going to just basically yeah. have to putter around until they fire Satterfield and do something smart <laughs> with their football. <laughs> Or wait, or if you're like Louisville, get lucky and have somebody else hire him away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We use the phrase the phrase that we we're trying to be a little more diplomatic these days. We used to be a little more rambunctious and just saying like, just Scott Scott Satterfield got voluntold to take the take the Cincinnati job, um, and uh, I think that just says a lot about generally um, everything. I will say in yeah. UCF's defense about the national championship. I am extremely pro. If you win a conference, oh, are we litigating this? Okay, all right. If you win a conference championship and you win a bowl game, f the haters. You're a national championship. Put like put it on a T-shirt. Put a banner up. No one can take it down. No one can do anything from you. Put up the dent, whatever the dentist magazine in uh, in Las Vegas that does a national championship. Put the banner up. It's not real. We don't need the ESPN suits to tell me what I can celebrate and what I can't celebrate. So conference championship and a bowl game, boom, you are a national champion. That is the least odious thing to me about UCF. I'm certainly more annoyed uh, about the idea that like they're the only ones who have done that because obviously Boise, TCU, Utah, so many other people have done, had great seasons that that are national championship worthy at the G5. Hawaii, shout out to... uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, well, they did not win that bowl game. Very famously, that's fine. Got their still national champion. Okay, all right, still, still a national <laughs> champion. Doesn't matter. We used to award the national champion before the bowl game. That's part of <laughs> yeah, college right, football right. history too. So it was good we enough used for to be in a world. Nixon, damn it, <laughs> we we used to be in a world where if journalists were just like, eh, we don't like that coach," even if they beat them yes. head up, straight yes. up, head to head, they were gonna yeah. give another. Yeah, I think that is much better. We we are too focused on being given a packaged um satisfying ending and we're not guaranteed that it's like the sopranos man sometimes it just fades to black and you got to freaking deal with it and i think that's how we should treat college football <laughs> okay well i didn't expect spoilers sorry spoilers for sopranos my bad <laughs> i have not seen it i i will say i forget gus malzahn is the head coach of ucf yeah quite frequently and it gets funnier every time i hear it um it's a I, real, I hope he's enjoying yeah. it. But yeah. He seemed he see I will say Gus seems to be doing pretty well, all told. And at the very least, I think you have to say, watching what his successor experienced at Auburn, I think Gus feels fine. I think Gus is like, you know what? It's all worked out great. I live in a tax-free state now, and the pressure's not like even as crazy as UCF fans can be the distance they have to go before they're in an even sniffing distance of Auburn boosters. Like, come on, it's gotta be a huge increase in quality of life for Gus. Gus is closer to joining live golf than he is to get inspired by UCF boosters. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Which kudos to him. That's a lot of money. Yep. Um, Ryan, if it's okay with you. Oh, oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. We're doing one more on UCF because what else are we talking about? Go ahead. The one thing that I'm interested in Ryan is like, Okay, UCF, they're in the Big 12 now. They're in a power conference. They're, you know, they can establish themselves, yada, yada. They're still not going to play Florida, Florida State, Miami. That's just, that's not going to happen. They're not going to get a home and home with them. If they go 12 and 0 and beat the Big 12 uh, and win the Big 12 championship, the other Florida schools can say, cool, you, you play in like the American Athletic Plus now. Like, does that still register for UCF fans? Is that still contributing to the chip on the shoulder? Um, what does the equilibrium of the state do knowing that there's one program who is now playing football with the rest of the country, but still not playing it regionally? I, I think it probably 
it won't solve the core problem. You're totally right there. Um, but I don't think anything was going to. Like, the other schools just don't have the incentive to be like, yeah, we're going to put UCF. I mean, Florida and Miami don't even play each other hardly at all. Because mm-hmm. if you don't have to, and and it's not, you know, in the case of Florida, Florida State, a long-established non-conference rivalry. Like, why would you do it? Um so I think in the absence of that pipe dream world where they are playing at least, say, two of the in-state rivals or in-state power schools every year, this is a good alternative because it at least sets them up to get to a place where if they do go undefeated or have a one-loss season and Florida you know, loses five games, loses four games, something like that, now it's it's a I think an easier discussion point to sort of say like we are better than you. When you are in a G5 conference, even if you dominate it, to to compare that to the experience of a four or f- three or four loss, let's say power five team in, you know, mostly the SEC and the Big 10, let's say. I think it's just a hard argument to make. Whether or not analytically it holds water is a whole separate conversation. Um, and but like, I I think it will help UCF get to a place where they can say, no, we should be considered both inside the state and outside the state as on the same level because we have raised our level of competition, which undoubtedly will be the case with this move, and like. Florida has definitely taken multiple steps back in the last few years. Florida State has improved. Miami is treading water, but they're also both stuck in a conference that has not like is not the cream of the Power Five crop right now. Nobody's looking at it and saying, "Oh, geez, you got to play three North Carolina school." God, God, go, God be with you. That's what a long, what a haul you've got, you know. Yeah. So I, I think it at least will. Uh, give them a new argument to bandy about, and and maybe it will pivot towards instead of why won't you play us, it will yeah. become the second favorite college football argument. You're scared to play us, oh, right? <laughs> <Price>. <laughs> Which is it, it, okay. Well, now that Parker opened it up, I have one more question on UCF, mm. and then and then we'll pivot. <clears throat> Are there UCF fans still? <sighs> I know it's I like don't, it's, yeah, what, the so, second yeah. biggest university in the country. First, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I the answer has to be yes. I don't know of that many, but the okay. answer has to be yes. I think the I think part of it is that it, it is a huge university, but that was not true until relatively recently. Yeah, like it is within the last I don't know fifteen years that they really poured a lot of resources and effort into just going giga enrollment basically yeah. Yeah. and so i'm wondering if it's the kind of thing where like we don't see it now but 10 years from now you look around and you're like are there so many ucf like vanity plates right in in nashville atlanta houston that kind of thing like i i think it has the potential to do that kind of thing the, the thing i don't know you can have a big school and that doesn't necessarily translate into we have a rabid diehard football culture. Yeah. UCLA is a big school. UCLA does not have like like the part of it that is insanely online is insanely online. But like 
there's a reason why most UCLA home games you look at and you're like, well, there's a half empty yeah. Rose Bowl again. So I don't know exactly how it's going to translate, but potentially, yes. Okay. Okay. Because the only reference point I have is so I grew up an hour south or two, two and a half hours south of College Station. So when I think big school, I think AM. And yep. those people are not jobs. And uh, 98% of that campus is a college football fan. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I didn't know if that translated to UCF. And so you gave us an easy pivot to Houston. Speaking Ryan, of like space, I, let's talk about speaking Houston. of space. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I, I, I also grew up 90 minutes south of the University of Houston campus. I don't know a single effing Houston fan <laughs> that is not named Tillman for Titta. And, <laughs> and I'm glad he's at a conference that has money. It's really yeah. cool for him. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, Dana will be a good fit because he's back in his natural habits out of the Big 12, but I don't know how that parlays. I open into question. Yeah. What the, what the hell is Houston doing? I mean, this is the one that feels like maybe this is a misread on my part, and you two can certainly tell me if it is, but it feels like if you're going to graft on insert insert team here to the big 12 picking a Texas school is the easiest way to do that. Yeah. Like, because at the very least you already have the built in internal, like uh, feelings network, let's call it where you sort of like, okay, I know how I'm supposed to feel about Houston as a city, the university of Houston. Like I already, like that makes sense. If I, root for Baylor or root for TCU or, you know, root for Oklahoma state for that matter. Like, I think you probably have enough context that it's Mm -hmm. not like, who are these people and where are they coming from? Like that to me is the easiest part of it. Um, Beyond that. I. Yeah. This is the one that feels weird because. For so long, Houston was so, and, and Tillman was so transparent about, like, this was the goal, but it wasn't the goal in this, it wasn't the goal to have it happen like this. It right. wasn't, they they very clearly wanted, and, you know, granted, Cincinnati and probably BYU wanted it too, it was just not so out on Front Street. Um, they wanted to be part of the legacy Big 12. They wanted to play Oklahoma and Texas every year. That's what Tillman, that's, that's why... Dana Holgerson brought or, or Tillman Fertitta brought Dana Holgerson to Houston. It was mm. part of the push to be like, we're going to make one, you know, we're going to make our last charge while the big 12 in its most recent incarnation is intact to try to get in the door and it failed, but also it succeeded. So that's, that's why it's really yeah. hard to get a read on. Yeah. I, 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 I will tell I you, I figure out, go, oh, go ahead, Grant. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say, like I said, I grew up very close to Houston. The first Houston game I remember is Tom Herman beating Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, I was at a Top Golf. That's it. Like, they have no identity. Uh, (laughs) To be fair, Grant is is like 16. So he's his short. (laughs) Well, whatever. Point is. I can't remember. Yeah, it's it's been the training ground. You got Sumlin. You got, yeah, it's been it's been like the breeding ground of, of, you know, figuring out whatever. I can't figure out, Ryan, and I'm interested in your opinion of this. What was Dana's response to fig- finding they were going to the Big 12? Was he just like, 
God damn it. Seriously? Or was he excited about this? I I can't tell exactly. It's because like Houston's not exactly a retirement job. It's not Tom Herman taking FAU, right? Like, yeah, it's a different job, but it definitely was a, okay, man, I'm not dealing with this crap, but at least at West Virginia, what do you think his kind of attitude or response was to, Hey, we're going back to the big 12 or we're going into the big 12. I think he's probably, I, I have to imagine he's probably cool with it because like staying in the American, like that option didn't look great. Like I, I think if your choice is sort of like stay in the conference where things are teetering or at least changing in ways that feel like they are potentially downgrading or be one of the teams on the life draft out you take that choice every time. And granted, that's what West Virginia did before joining the big 12 in the first place. But I think not having to, not having to be, you know, halfway across the country and sort of say like, great, now we have to do all these road trips and whatever. And Dana had enough success as a big 12 coach at West Virginia that I don't, I don't think he's going to look at this and be like, Oh, this is impossible. Oh, we have now bit off way more than we can chew. Obviously, it yeah. like never clicked to the exact degree, but that he he or West Virginia wanted it to. But I don't know. I think I think Dana is probably savvy enough to look around at the state of the conference right now and say, okay, is there any reason why in three years we can't be playing for a conference title? Is there any structural reason why that's not the case. And I don't think, you know, that's not the same thing as saying Houston's going to get there, but I think it has the flexibility and the opening to do it. I think, you know, you look and say, okay, if Kansas can turn things around the way that they have, if Baylor and TCU and, you know, you can, the, the big 12 in many ways is the land of opportunity in a way that lots of college conferences aren't where it's sort of like, the pecking order is the pecking order, and and to crack it is going to take a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of luck. Dana's a gambler. Dana likes a casino, and so, like so, the table odds look pretty good here, right? So that's my question: is how long do you think after Houston joined the Big Twelve did Dana find out? <laughs> <laughs> it had to have been like a week. <laughs> I honestly want to know how he found out. Right. You know, like I like I assume a fan or or somebody at you know a bar somewhere was talking to him about it and he's like man that crazy guy thinks we're in the big 12 what the hell and then he was like wait a second i should probably open my email for the first time in two weeks we gotta play oklahoma state next year (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be something different all right whatever we do the same thing uh Yeah. yeah um so let's the exact opposite of that is BYU. Yeah. And this is the one I was really excited to talk to you about because I, this is the least cultural fit and we can make fun of BYU. I, whatever. I'm going to make the easy joke and just say that I'm really excited for their first road game in Lubbock. <laughs> but okay, I, but I, I don't show up. I mean, they're, they're every, the BYU, I'll say, I'll say BYU is the antecedent to, yeah, to yeah, their, yeah. They are freaking everywhere, man. Yeah. Oh, they I are. Bet it's half, but... I bet it's half navy blue in Lubbock. Yeah, the first time. Yeah. yeah. I... Well, okay, but it just doesn't seem like a good mix. And, and and honestly, it's a good get for the new Big Twelve, right? Like storied program, large fan base, all that. 
the cultural fit is just really what um, intrigues me, I would say. And I, I don't know how it's going to work. To, to me, I mean. Because Bronco Mendenhall is not there and it can't be mean anymore. And we, we would have accepted that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that, that tracks. Um, I'm curious how it works where. BYU has made its bones for, I don't know, as long as I can remember on we're going to put together as much as any true independent can a crazy aggressive schedule. Like Notre Dame puts together a very good schedule, but like when you're locked into, we play USC every year and we have this, you know, uh, thruple agreement with the ACC where we play a bunch, you know, I think they have some scheduling advantages. Please don't, back, up, please don't bring up BYU and Thruple. That's the yeah, I, that, that's, I apologize. That's, yeah, yeah. Um, when you look at what BYU put together scheduling wise over the last few years, it's nuts. Like it's sort of it's like the number of Power Five teams, not only that they got on the schedule, but that they consistently beat. And I think that became part of their football identity was sort of like we are. Uh, we are the roving horde that will go wherever, and we will play you. We will play you hard, and we'll, we're hopefully going to beat you. Like BYU beating the hell out of Texas. Now that must have been what a decade ago. Now, uh-huh. uh huh. I remember I was at a I was passed out in a dorm room at Texas A and M when that <laughs> happened. Yeah, yeah, I remember exactly where I was. Yeah. Like that's that is a very crystalline memory for me of just watching them. Not just beat Texas, but like push Texas around, really manhandle them. So I guess the cultural question to me is like, of the four, this is the one that like doesn't really know what conference living is like in any meaningful way. And there's one way you can do conference living. This is probably what the American athletic experience was most like, where it's like, okay, yes, technically we're all in a conference together and that means we sort of you know, schedule things certain ways and this, that, and the other. And then there's the other way, which is, I think, more of what you're alluding to, which is we're in a conference and that has implications about how we act, how we treat each other, how mean we are. Right. Um, and and I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know if BYU will be happier being in a conference. That is true from a financial standpoint. From an identity standpoint, I would not be surprised if at some point some segment of the BYU fan base is like, I liked it better when we just were like, you know, like like our namesake, just out here in the wilderness <laughs> fighting anybody who dared approach us. I think because that, like yeah, the I Utah, think, think about like how nasty the Utah BYU yes, stuff gets. Yes, are they prepared for that on a week in week out basis? With again, uh, to kind of to hijack Grant's point about like UCF, but like, is BYU ready for Oklahoma State? Right, I, uh, that's a lot, man. That's 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 an entirely different experience, um, kind of in a week in week out basis. Yes, especially when you know Holy War. At least you're like, I get it. There's proximity. There's like yeah. the state private. State. There's a bunch of good reasons. But if you show up, if you show up to Lubbock and you're like, wow, they really don't like us here. That's that's going to mess with you over time. Now, now, maybe 
the flip side is maybe BYU having all this experience going on the road, playing power five teams all the time. Maybe they go the other way and they're like, well, we don't care. Like we like fighting in bowl games. Why wouldn't we, why do we, every week is a bowl game for us now. This rules. <laughs> you have knives. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really excited about it. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to. Yeah. Uh, let let's finish this up with Cincinnati. Okay. Cause this, this I think is the most intriguing one. Cause it's the one I can't pin down. Yeah. Outside of action cookbook. I don't know any Cincinnati fans and I, I, I really think they're in for a world of hurt for a lot of the reasons that Parker outlined earlier. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's a different world for them. Right. So I, I don't know what, what's going to happen with Cincinnati. I'm right there with yeah. This is the one I have the least read on as well. Um, I I would actually argue this is the weirdest cultural fit because BYU, yeah, there are a lot of obvious, um, a lot of obvious clashes. But on the other hand, like hey, uh, weirdo religious institution, like right. the Big Twelve can handle that. The Big Twelve yeah, knows what that been looks there before. like. Yeah, um, well, and, and I I meant to say this a minute ago. I'm a little slow. Sorry. Um, BYU adds the the third time zone, which is just annoying. Yes. So like since at the very least, you're like, okay, we're already going to West Virginia. We're going to UCF. That's fine. That doesn't change it. BYU makes things way more complicated. And right. so since at least has that going for it, where it's like, all right, I've got to drive past you to get to West Virginia. So maybe we can do some, <laughs> you know, the non-football sports. Maybe we can do something that makes sense here. And can I also add how stupid it is that Ohio is in the Eastern time zone? Like that's just the take I have. I think it's really dumb that they're not in the central I'll, time. I'll let you have that. I don't have an opinion. Okay, on that's that. fine. I just a geographical <laughs> take. I, I think it's really stupid. <laughs> I, I went to a wedding in Columbus two years ago, and I'm like, why am I an hour ahead of? This is, I think that's fair. Listen, I, I, I think uh, raging at time zones is one of the last, uh, one of the last things <laughs> we we have in common as people. So we should cling to it. Um, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, I mean, the the big thing with Cincinnati is that it feels like their recent history is it's either like really good boom times where stability rules the day, where it's sort of like, yes, we have, you know, we have Brian Kelly and like things are good and they're, we feel good about what the plan is here and we're, things are moving. Or we have Tommy Tuberville. And it's like, I don't know. I, I guess what I'm worried about is that the needle Cincinnati has threaded mostly over the last, what, 15, 20 years, hiring coaches, and really mostly, like, the batting average has been very good. Mm. You worry that with the move to the Big 12 the expectations start to ratchet up Satterfield aside, like, are they going to be that, are they going to fall into that pattern that a lot of programs are in where it's sort of like every th three years we're, we're high, we're firing somebody, we're back on the block for a new coach. And that is the thing that feels like it is the death knell for a lot of promising programs where it's just like, Oh, you can't get out. You can't ever get out of second gear. You, you have no recruiting momentum. You have no development momentum. 
you can't keep staffs together. Like that is, I think going to be the biggest challenge for Cincinnati. And like, if Luke Fickle was still there, I probably wouldn't worry about it at all, but he's not. And to Parker's point, like you made a really baffling hire. It's not just that it's a bad hire. It's that it's a baffling hire. Like you can, I, I didn't think UNC hiring Mac Brown was a good hire. But I understood it. I understood the logic behind it. The Satterfield hire, I'm just like, where? where is the, what's the argument for? What's the case for this? Why are you doing this? So Ryan, I think Cincinnati will be back on the three to four year uh, replacing a coach schedule. Yeah. Based off the Satterfield thing. I, you're right. It is baffling because they've made every good hire. Like, well, they've, cover, okay, it's it's yeah. super easy. It's like, hey, we hired a D'Antonio, we hired a Kelly, we hired a Butch Jones, we a hired Tuberville. a Fickle, or we hired a Tuberville. And if I just had to broad brushes say, which is this hire more like the <laughs> D'Antonio, Kelly, Jones, right. Fickle, or the Tuberville? It's very clearly you're hiring a retread, which just doesn't make sense given what you've been successful with. What Cincinnati has actually been amazing at, given those four guys, I mean. Four out of five ain't bad to, to paraphrase meatloaf, but like you, you're able to identify these young guys who come in and can build something up and then they leave and then you hire another one. Like to go D'Antonio Kelly to Butch Jones back to back to back is pretty damn impressive. Tuberville, obviously a mistake. They go to fickle and, and build back up, but it seems like they're making a Tuberville mistake again, very obviously when that has not worked for them in the past. Um, and they've had success doing, doing something different. I'm just so glad we brought up Meatloaf and Tommy Tuberville in this podcast. That, that... <laughs> I actually hit bingo. I don't know if you guys got the card. But... That was my unstated goal before. Uh... <laughs> I mean, before. but like with, with Cincy, the question is like, to what extent is this a fan base that is like, no, we should win 11 games. Like that is the standard at this yeah. point. Because if that's where your head is at, going from the American and to some extent, a like kind of down American in some of the more recent years, not across the board, but in pockets at least, to the Big 12, it's like, well, you're just setting yourself up to have a bad time. I th- but I think if you approach this from a more like, hey, the first couple years we have to feel it out, we like new coach, new conference, let's like get to a bowl game, let's, you know, try to go 500 in conference play get a good win at home, you know, or, or scare somebody on the road, whatever. That's probably like a rational place to be. Yeah. I, I, I think they just sacrificed Satterfield. Maybe they were just like, we know that it's going to suck at the beginning. Oh, we know nobody can fat fill in fickles uh, shoes and somebody on our staff. owes Satterfield money. We'll take care of that. And then we'll fire him and, and build up after we take our beating. This is the pressure release valve that they've yeah, built. In exactly. The yeah. 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 I mean, I will say this. Action Cookbook is also the only Cincinnati fan that I know. But my (laughs) sense has always been that Cincinnati as a fan base is like pretty rational only by virtue of the fact that they are surrounded by Ohio State fans, the least rational people in the world. And so I think like, while there may be some expectation adjustment going on here, I think... This is the fan base of the four 
that is most ready to that that can deal with uh, a negative depart a negative adjustment and understand like it's okay. It doesn't mean like Cincinnati sucks. It doesn't mean this was a bad move. It doesn't mean it's forever. Especially to Parker's point, if they get to serve up Scott Satterfield on a platter <laughs> to make everybody feel better. <laughs> They've hired the right coach for it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yes. Yeah. Yes. I'm like restraining yes. myself. I, we probably need to draw a line at the Satterfield stuff and not have me say anything else there, but um, it is baffling. I think baffling was a, was a great, was a great word. And um, the Cincinnati fans with the Ohio state fans is great. It's like the, um, you just gotta be not that crazy, you know? Right. And, uh, and so they have a good example, I think there, but again, they've invested in facilities. There is talent that they have access to. Um, and again, they are not, they're a little different to me than the UCF and even the Houston in that, like they have had seasons where in, in multiple eras in the pre playoff era and in the playoff era where they are big boy players. Um, yeah. and, uh, and that's different. That's not something everyone has. And so that, that at least is a little bit different, I think. Yes, that I think that makes sense. Um, you know, even the way you look at the way Cincinnati fans reacted to the Satterfield hire, and weirdly, that makes me feel better about how they're going to deal with being in the Big 12. Because normal, like, if you are... I agree, bon- and I hope you're saying it for the reason that I agree. <laughs> well, if, if, you, if you are a bonkers fan base, and your your team hires a new coach, the move is to... Defend it like it's the smartest thing you've ever heard. And anybody who questions it is trying to poison the program and doesn't understand the vision and has never really supported Cincinnati. You like put up every wall, you wave the flag as hard as you can. But the reaction from Cincinnati fans was much more muted and was much more like, I don't really like this. Like it's like, it was more like, it's fine. It, it reminded me of when you when you have to eat dinner at an airport and you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> only Subway is open. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't uh, want Subway. I, That's not what I want to have for dinner. But I'm in the airport and it's open. And so, yeah, it's fine. I'd rather have Scott Satterfield than, <laughs> than not eat. I'm going to dump this in a year. And it's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's good for now. It, it won't yes. stay with me for forever. It serves yeah. its purpose. Yeah. It's not exciting. And it's not the choice I would have made, but circumstances are what It'll move us Yes. I can't believe I said I need to draw a line and not say anything else about Satterfield. And then we went to subway dumps after uh, <laughs> after that. Good Lord. Okay. Uh, Ryan, just being mindful of your time. We don't want to linger here forever, but uh, certainly appreciate being on. The other big thing I think we wanted to touch on is just outside of the big 12 um there's uh some there's there's something brewing uh out west in that the pac 12 perhaps doesn't have its house in order um but also maybe it does and that's just the big 12's propaganda machine and the truck stop propaganda is just uh you know getting getting them all out of sorts um i i would love to just talk about a little bit and maybe start here could you cast a vision for what you think is going to be the equilibrium uh, with with what's happening and realignment between the Pac-12 and the Big 12? Man. Um I so I think I think the false flag in all of this is going to be Colorado. Like Colorado is going to be the one that makes the most noise and uh, like spends the most attention on it 
and probably is the most willing to jump. Obviously, like they have a ton of history with the Big 12. Their time in the Pac-12 has been mostly unenjoyable, um, certainly mostly unremarkable. Um, they are the one, and, and more, more importantly, within the larger context, they are the one school of most of the schools being talked about here that don't have a little brother that the state legislature says they have to take care of. Um, this is, I think, one of the trickiest parts for Oregon and Washington is that even if they are interested in jumping to the Big Ten, um, most likely that seems like where where it ha- would happen. There's enough Oregon State and Washington st- State support at the state level that's like, nope, you have to figure out what is happening with our other flagship school. You can't just like leave them on an island to die. Um, so I guess in a weird way, this is all going to turn on the Arizona schools. Like whether if this happens, oh, yeah. if the big if the Big Twelve does successfully raid the Pac-12 for the four corner schools, it'll be because Arizona and Arizona State got on board with it because I don't think maybe Colorado, Utah is attractive enough for the big 12 to say like, yeah, we'll take you. But I don't think it like significantly moves the needle. I don't think they would move heaven and earth to make that happen. Mm. I think they would probably rather say like, no, we've already got four new members. We're going to see how that goes and we can wait. We can see what happens down the line. But I think if they can get, the Arizona schools as well, they'll probably jump at it. I, I mean, ultimately, I think the most logical, and I don't normally do this, so I apologize. The most logical answer to your question is like, can the Pac-12 get anything resembling an acceptable TV deal? Like, it has been so long that they have been out here trying to make this happen and trying to show the membership that's remaining, like, Listen, we're not going to close the gap between the SEC and the Big Ten, but we're not going to open up a new gap with the ACC and the Big 12. If they can't do that, all bets are off. Like I, I would assume the thing will fall apart immediately. But I think if they can come to, come to the Arizona schools and Oregon and Washington and everybody else and sort of say, like, look, here is a relatively short-term deal that will let us tread water and not fall behind. I think I think those schools will want to make it work, mostly because like it's just it inertia is easier in some regards for them. I, I think Ryan, I have a two-part question, and I'm passing up a easy transition to a question okay. right, Yormar. Um, I guess my first question is, uh, how many bones do you think Utah would break in Big 12? And how many venereal diseases do you think Arizona State, Texas Tech would create in the same <laughs> realm? Oh, boy. Like, 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 we could do some scientific experiments. Sure, sure. There are cultural <laughs> I'm, fits. I'm sorry. Over, I'm sorry, Brian. I apologize, man. No, we'll no. <laughs> Uh, no, um, just a little note for the editor. That's why we had you on, just because I really <laughs> yeah. want. But, no, but I, I, get I, it. I think I think Utah, Arizona State, like you said, the Arizona schools would be a really good cultural fit um, for the Big Twelve. So, um, 
but I wonder how much the Big Ten is going to focus on Stanford in terms of academics and their kind of overall larger uh, athletic program. That conference is screwed, man. I, they, I actually think the Big Ten really doesn't want – I don't think the Big Ten wants Stanford at all. Really? Because okay. the academic profile, yes, 100% there. But, like, they don't want a school that so openly does not care about football. And <laughs> more importantly – Part of part of why Stanford is Stanford is like, yes, there is not the sort of like large scale alumni and student body investment in football that there is at any of the Big Ten schools. Name a single one of them. It's not the same. But Stanford is playing the game that all the Big Ten schools, at least like the top academic schools, say they want to play. Like Michigan wants to portray itself as like, listen. We are education first, football second, but that's not like, and and I'm not saying that th- there isn't like some element of truth to that. Stanford, nobody transfers to Stanford in the, in the portal. And it's not because like, it wouldn't be nice to go play in Palo Alto. And it's not because like there, you wouldn't have opportunities to play in a good power five conference. It's because you can't qualify. The admissions yeah. department at Stanford is doing no favor. It's very reminiscent of like, House schools in the 50s and the 60s. Like Virginia almost dropped football in the 50s because the the academic side of the university was basically like, absolutely not. We will not do this anymore. And Stanford is the only school, at least, I mean, they it's run like a service academy where it's yeah. like, if you can't get in, you're not coming. And I don't think the Big Ten is interested in having somebody in the conference who A, talks the walks the walk in a way that they don't actually want to and be like can't fill the stadium won't spend the money on things like they yeah they'll be a good ad for a lot of non-revenue sports but the big 10 doesn't care about that at this point how many overseas games would would northwestern and stanford play versus each other if stanford joined the big 10 like every year they'd be like why don't you guys go to why don't you guys go to tokyo this year Hey, hey guys uh would you like to see Scotland? They don't really want you there, but we're just going to stick you over there and have some fun with it. It's going to be, yeah, 100%. We sent, what do we, send Stanford to Australia not that yeah, long let's ago? let's do it. I mean, good yeah. God. Imagine Michigan men traveling to Melbourne. <laughs> this is a better college than we are. Um, I'm still interested. We don't have to. I think we're we're hitting, we're close to time. We're up on. I just am interested at, the four corners make sense for the Big 12 because, again, yeah. still in three time zones. Yep. The Big 10 has to be careful with expansion because four time, like even though pa- the Pacific time zone is two hours behind, four time zones just seems implausible for non, non-football sports. I, I um, guess the undoable. question I guess the question for the Big 10 is like once you have bitten off, once you said Southern California, does the map matter anymore? Once you have said like, we're, well, we're going to make you go we're literally going to make you go to New Jersey and LA. Like does that sensibility, which is, which is not incorrect make sense anymore. And, and is there, is there more impetus to sort of say like, well, we might as well tack on a couple more West coast or mountain uh, time zone stops just to like give, just to make it look prettier. I don't know. I mean, it's, 
reduce our carbon footprint by you're going to play four Pac-12 schools on this trip oh, instead of god. just two. That yeah, that there's plenty of opportunity for that. Oh my god, that is the criteria. You, Big Ten, I'll sell you that yes. idea. Ver- yeah. Verbal trademark, that's mine. You Verbal have to tra- buy yes. that for me, but you're, I will sell it to you. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna embrace tradition. We're gonna put you on a train <laughs> with some professors. You're gonna chug 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 all Big the way to champion. LA. Big Ten champion Purdue. That's right. We're gonna <laughs> stop. It. We're gonna stop Bullet at every town to for a little <laughs> flag waving. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the golden spike is what uh, Spencer Petrus does on most places. Um, <laughs> full circle, beautiful, beautiful. Ryan, we'll get you out of here on this question. What you have been on a podcast tour? What is the weirdest podcast you have been on? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I Besides just said this it, one, which it, it, it was it was a very fun one, uh, but it was strange. It was a podcast called Bibliovile, which is a husband and wife duo where they intentionally read shitty books and then they sort that. of like talk about why they're shitty with one another. And as a guest on the podcast, they were like, Okay, we're assigning you a book. And I was like, oh, okay. So I got assigned a a YA dystopian romance novel Hunger that I like Games. had yeah, to read. It. Yeah, yeah. It's not I wish it were Hunger Games. I wish it were that good. And I had to like read it, read a book and come with like notes and thoughts about it. It was fun to do, but I was like, oh man, I th- oh, I didn't think they I don't do homework for my podcast. <laughs> oh, just- I mean, clearly, I just show up and let it rip. I don't know if I would yeah. do homework. Yeah. 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 I don't do yeah. homework for this podcast. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. That's fine. Um, um, awesome. Ryan, well, th- man, thanks thanks so much for being here. This is uh, a ton of fun. Just, again, it's the offseason. All we're doing is chatting and hanging out. So we appreciate you coming on. And I uh, do want to shout out, you were on with our friend Melissa Trewasser uh, yeah. a weeks ago, and she's great. And and if uh, anybody listening liked this, I'm sure that the uh, the conversation with Ryan and Melissa will be uh, similar, if not more substantial. So check that out. Ryan, uh, where can where can people find you? Where's the best place to just be like, hey, all the stuff you're doing, where is it? Celebrity Hot Tub on Twitter. It's still, I'm still not Eddie Murphy, but I'm still stealing his avatar, confusing people <laughs> the whole time. I have to tell you, it's my mom's favorite SNL sketch. And I was like, it's okay. Very it's very good. Yeah. Really I'm glad good. other people at least know that it is a sketch and not just <laughs> yeah. like a confusing uh, <laughs> life experience I'm claiming to have had. <laughs> He's Ryan Nanny. He's at Celebrity Hot Tub. I'm Grant McGalliard at Grant McGalliard. And also this Parker Fleming at Stats of War. We'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody. Adios. All right. There you go experience i'm claiming to have had <laughs> he's ryan nanny he's at celebrity hot tub i'm grant mcgalliard at grant mcgalliard and also this parker fleming at stats of war we'll be back next week thanks everybody adios all right there you go